0: welcome back to ghostly talk this is scott l
1: this is amber
0: welcome back Amber. thank
1: you thank you i haven't been back since when april
0: yeah when we decided to take a little break and then
1: you had a show and i was i had to work
0: and then we decided to revamp the studio so i'm wondering how it's going to sound i'm curious i I mean you're not i don't know right now because we're recording it um
1: i think there is a little more of an echo
0: yeah we're going to have to work on that um that's one thing you guys can help us out with. If, if you hear something you don't like, if you hear something you, you can offer us some feedback, don't hesitate. Ghostly Talk at ghostlytalk.com or Scott L. at ghostlytalk.com or Amber Rose at ghostlytalk cam.
1: Dot cam. Dot cam.
0: Dot um, <laughs>
1: I, I don't know. We could get some dampening stuff in here, but I know we well, don't what, sound well, horrible. What,
0: the other thing, too, is, um, long story short, is my band is moving in the same room that we do this show in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be moving a bunch of equipment in here this week, so that may Matt deafen the sound help. a little bit. Also, There'll be it's a drum of, set in the corner. Yeah, there. it's kind of a giant empty room right now, so yeah. that's why it's it's bouncing a little bit more. So we may sound different next show. Who knows? But yeah, we're lots of changes, lots of stuff coming up here, and there's lots of stuff going on, right, Amber?
1: There's a lot of stuff going on. I we want to give a shout out to Troy Taylor and the gang and everybody going to the Haunted America conference. Um, it just wasn't in the stars for us to head over there this year, um mostly because of our cat situation <laughs> um we just don't have people we trust, I guess to watch our cats who are I think that's what it's really children. come down to I think we don't it trust is. any of you it's people. not that we don't want to go anywhere it's we
0: just don't trust any of you.
1: I just you don't trust people.
0: No, we I've don't given trust suggestions
1: about what we could do with the neighbors and you're like, oh no, I don't know no. no. Like my garage idea.
0: The garage idea is good.
1: Scott, Scott's biggest fear is that <laughs> someone watching our pets opens the door and has like our garage door open and everything's open. And one of the cats just goes, Bleh, see ya. And yeah. then they're never seen again. Because yeah. that's the one time they decide that they're going to run out. Even though our cats really don't have any interest in yeah, going but it's, just, it's,
0: it's I'm sorry. That, my, that level of paranoia is a safe level of paranoia because that's what happens though. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want to do is be on the road, be somewhere at a conference or something like that, trying to enjoy myself and get a phone call going, hey, we lost your cat. Right. You want to see a nuclear meltdown? That's, yeah. what, that's when you're going to see a nuclear meltdown. Yeah. So we'll we'll figure it out. But no, seriously, everybody who's attending Troy Taylor's conference, the Haunted America conference. Uh, hello. Yeah, hello. And have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Hopefully we'll see you guys in 2023.
1: Because we didn't get to see, like we would have met Amanda Woomer. Yeah. Bro- super bro- cool. Uh, Brian, Sheck Schneider.
0: Oh, do you yeah, yeah. You talking about Brandon? Brandon, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon, yeah.
1: Um, he was gonna be there. We would have met him. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. There next was a year. lot of cool people, so
0: we'll work it out next year.
1: Hopefully, we get there next year. I promise. So we'll anyway, work it out next year. if you're all going, have fun. Have fun. Enjoy if you song. see, if you see Brandon, Amanda, any of the people that have been on the show, Tell be them like, We said hi. Scott and Amber said hi. Yeah. They said hi.
0: From their basement. Uh, in Michigan.
1: I, Last time I was on the show, I was probably talking about how mentally exhausted I was from writing a book that I found to be extremely challenging. I, I thought it'd be easy to write a book during a pandemic, like you're locked in the bathroom. Or bathroom bathroom. <laughs> I'm locked. Yeah, Scott kept me locked well, in the bathroom definitely during the rusty. pandemic. We're definitely
0: rusting at the, rusty at this whole <laughs> podcasting thing, I guess.
1: Uh, I, I was kind of locked down in the basement uh-huh. trying to write, and just being here is distraction central. You have a cat. You have just things, my activity stations, which you call my piles. Um, Everything distracts you. And so it was really challenging to write a book during a pandemic when you were stuck at home. It was not easy. I'm sure some people it's like awesome because they might have a great home office or a total distraction-free area in their house. But not so much for me. But the book is done. Um, It's going to be called Mysterious Michigan – has a subtitle that I'm not remembering, which is really it's sad. It's to have it. It's your book. It's long. It's long. Anyway, I'm sure I'll be posting. Oh, my, oh my God. You're not even going to look it up. Oh, my God. Because I, I don't – okay. Come on. Look it up. Okay. Oh, my God. So it's I, your uh, book. I, that's I like know the worst. That,
0: that is the worst I know. promo. I mean, wrestlers do better promos <laughs> I, than I that. I
1: know. I don't like promoting myself. But this is – okay, this is why I didn't remember what my damn book title was. I didn't do the subtitle. The, the publisher was like, we need a subtitle. So, it's Mysterious Michigan, subtitle, The Lonely Ghost of Mini Quay, The Marvelous Manifestations of Farmer Riley, The Devil in Detroit, and more. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. See? Thank you. Anyway, that's going to be available <coughs> on August 29th, uh, wherever bookstores are... Oh, my God. You're right. I can't talk. Wherever bookstores are sold, wherever... Wherever books, <laughs> <laughs> Wherever... Books are sold. I'll have
0: that uh, green bookstore, God. and I'll have that yellow bookstore.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome. Ooh, a, book, a brown bookstore. A bookstore where you go to buy bookstores. <laughs> ah, see, I got a good idea in there. So anyway, the other weird thing besides – oh, oh, I will mention that we did decide – you know how we have Stairway Spirits out there? Yeah. As yeah. an outlet for um, – which was going to be a book, but you were like, F that. I can't
0: write. I can't <laughs>
1: Um, I think you're a good writer. You just I don't just don't have I, the patience. I, can't, I don't have the
0: patience for it. Yeah, I'd become an alcoholic basically if I stay. I know because that's the only thing that gives me patience to do stuff anymore is if I have a couple of beers. I
1: want the I want to see the drunk version of Stairway Spirits. Oh God, that'd be great. Written by alcoholic Scott.
0: No, that's what would give me. No, it wouldn't be like a drunk alcoholic thing. It, that, would, that would give me the patience probably if I drank more while oh. I did it. But I just I don't have the patience to you do it. You think
1: you You think you become more focused if you drink? Yeah. Really?
0: Oh, I do. I've done a ton of writing that way. Oh. Not wasted or anything. I've like had I've people had give beers. me that
1: suggestion, like do a couple shots of whiskey and write. And I'm like, It takes the edge off. It doesn't for me. I'm just like And I The funny thing is I don't it doesn't focus me.
0: The funny thing is all these years I've been alive and when it comes to drinking beer or what alcohol or whatever, um I've always been a very staunch like get take care of the business, then you then you have a beer, right? I've never mixed it to. For example, mowing the yard is one that I've just learned this this great mystery of life. And I've always been, you know, mow the yard, take care of the yard work, do the business, then you can have a beer and relax. But I know everybody else I know they mixed they mixed it to. They, they're drinking beer while they're mowing the yard. So I I tried that a few weeks ago, and I'm 47 years old, mind you, and I tried that a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, this is amazing. This is so amazing. So it, I would
1: just be. Endlessly it gave me thirsty.
0: It gave, it gave me more patience to do things. I took my. I took my time that's more. Weird. I relaxed more. I wasn't rushing through it. I'm like, oh, I can spray all this stuff down and clean all the tools, and it's it's yeah, it's very nice. That's weird. So I mean, I, that's why I mentioned that. Maybe yeah. that's what I need. But what you were saying about stairway spirits is, yeah, we have made that a pod, like another arm of ghostly talk. Now is a podcast research project, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was thinking that I would maybe do something. To compliment Mysterious Michigan and sort of do just <clears throat> add another sub podcast to our podcast called Mysterious Michigan and maybe talk about a few of the stories I did. We're didn't just gonna in-
0: eradicate ghostly talk and just make <laughs> a bunch of smaller little podcasts.
1: Um where I talk about, yeah, obviously exclusively Michigan, which I know a lot of listeners, even if you don't live in Michigan, you'll you know, yeah. you'll find the stories interesting. And maybe talk about some stuff that I didn't include in the book because unfortunately I do have a word limit, so I have to, you know, skim my words trim the fat yes so i don't know i thought it'd be kind of something fun plus it's a way i think i can appease the publisher when it comes to marketing and publicity because i i don't know i think after having two years of not really doing a ton of public lectures i'm like ugh, ugh. like i have really enjoyed not rushing around every october twice a week sometimes more like just you picked to the wrong
0: job then
1: It's not my job, though. It's a hobby. So when your hobby starts to turn into like kind of, you know, it's like with this this show. That's why we were like, hey, we're really super busy. We need to take a little break. We don't do a ton of shows, but, you know, the shows do take preparation and time. So step back a little bit. And well, and that's
0: the beauty of what ghostly talk is and always will be is that we don't have anybody to answer to. No. And I've said that before. That's why we were able to take that little break we're and step back for a minute. Still waiting for
1: that food minute. sponsor.
0: Yeah, that food sponsor that, may, that sponsor. may change that might change the game, right? You know? But in the meantime <laughs> We could take a break like that. Cheesebasket.com. Oh God, is that a dear, thing? Dear Lord and happy. Let me look it like, up. Like, is there
1: a monthly cheese basket and cracker?
0: Uh, I want. You know what? I, I have to see this <laughs> Cheese now. of cheese. the month.
1: You know there's a cheese of the month club. No, cheese basket. I'll explain the cheese to everybody, you know, on the show. I'll make it sound really good. .com. <laughs> what is it? What's the website? I'm looking what it, look it up like? right now. You, you typed in cheese. Holy basket. crap!
0: There is not a cheese. There, you know, there's a domain for that, of course, but somebody owns it. Um, we have cats yelling at us also because we haven't paid any attention to them. Sorry guys. Sorry guys. We'll be done soon. Did no
1: one, no one has cheesebasket.com. No,
0: no. Okay, Mr. Oh, okay, Rollins. Yeah, he wants cheese. People are. <laughs> that's got to be going through the mic. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm hearing in the headphones. Can you
1: guys hear him?
0: Oh. What, Mr. Rollins? Sir,
1: are you hungry? Oh. Ooh. You want more food? Okay. All right. That's what he wants. So anyway. Um, we better get
0: done soon before we have a okay, ravenous okay. cat.
1: Last weird thing I have to tell listeners.
0: Oh, God. This is creepy.
1: So my mom decides to tell me. Bro,
0: we'll be done in a okay, minute.
1: I got gotcha. you. My mom decides. She's like, I keep forgetting to tell you this. And this happened back <laughs> in January. And when it first happened, it was like this guy did this in 2018. So anyway. Yeah. She goes, you remember that guy I went on a couple dates with? You wow.
0: Okay, Rollins, chill out, (laughs) dude.
1: She goes, remember that guy. I don't know what he's freaking out about. What's
0: the problem, man?
1: I don't know. Do you see a ghost? Lassie
0: cat? What the heck's going on here? Is there a murder going on upstairs? Okay, dude.
1: This is weird. Why is he doing this? I don't know.
0: Where's Banks at? Go check. Okay, yeah, you know what? You, you do your thing and i Okay, be I'm going to
1: tell the story. You go check in case he's like, but he's definitely jazzed up over something. Where's the danger, boy? Go look, boy. Anyway, okay. So my mom says, I, I keep forgetting to tell you this. Da, 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 da. Some guy that she went on a couple dates with ended up murdering someone in 2018 and just shot this kid in cold blood because of a fight. And after getting really creepy and like weird with his dad, which he was friends with, and I'm not even—I don't even need to say the name or explain stuff or whatever. But just the fact that my mom dated a guy that murdered someone, and he got—he got—I finally tried. I think in uh, January of this year, because uh, it was delayed because of COVID and stuff. But I think I remember the guy being at the house. He called my mom a couple more times. And when he – and she didn't want to pick up, and when he called, he yeah. – I got hair in my mouth. Anyway, when he called, he said, uh, pick up the phone. And then the next time, she was like, yeah, no. And the next time he called, he was like, pick up the phone. And she's no, no. And, like, she got a creepy vibe from him. Yeah. And uh, look what the guy did. So I was like, that's cl- – Great. One of the murders like in West Michigan happened like the guy had been to my house. Thanks, Chucklehead
0: for making us all look stupid. Appreciate that. So that's
1: kind of creepy when that kind of stuff circumvents your life. Anyway, so tonight's show was super fun. I was very thrilled to have Scott DeShane back in the hot seat. We hadn't had him on since. Well, last show was April 28th, 2021. Yeah. I highly recommend
0: you go that back you listen to that, to that show. Yeah. I, and
1: I don't think you have to listen to one or the other first. We kind of talk about some similar similar things, but on this show we talked about lots of other different stuff and stories. Uh, but Scott DeShane has a pretty cool bio. Let me read it to you. Writer and director Scott DeShane has helped educate millions of young people and families around the world about a wide range of subjects, including health, safety, conservation, and citizenship. His research into the natural world led him to develop the living sky hypothesis for study of the atmosphere as a habitat. He proposes that a wide variety of life forms may move through Earth's atmosphere. DeShane proposes that many so-called unidentified flying objects, or UAP, may actually be organisms similar to those that move through the oceans. Uh, I know I didn't ask him what the 10 things were, but he said he identified (coughs) 10 similarities between invertebrate you know in the ocean yeah. and um ufos yeah how they move and, and react and act his article quote the sky is alive was featured in 14 times the world's foremost journal of strange phenomena for celebration of his 40th anniversary of its 40th anniversary the editor selected it as one of the top 40 articles in the magazine's history which goes to show you just how People think this is really like well, an this interesting is, yeah, topic. This is a very interesting topic, and I don't feel it gets a lot Thought of attention. Provoking. Yep. So, and he's been on Travel Channel. He was on America Declassified. They went to the Marfa lights in Texas. They checked that out, and he's got a documentary, Not Alone: The Life Above, which is what we talk about mostly in uh, these two episodes with him. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of cool footage from NASA space flights that show could potentially show atmospheric life. So to promote study of the atmosphere as a habitat, he investigated one so-called mystery light near West Point, Virginia, which I think we talked about on our last show, too, for nearly a year, the Cohoke Light. And he's got a film called The Cohoke Light, and that reveals the results of that study. The Living Sky Hypothesis has drawn interest and praise from pilots, astronauts, and engineers. One former NASA engineer and UFO expert called it, quote, interesting and well-reasoned. One pilot and aviation expert said he could think of no other logical explanation for the many mysteries of the sky. Deschain hopes to encourage the scientific community to explore the possibilities for life in the sky. He predicts that further study of a variety of potential habitats will reveal a wide range of aerial organisms and help us better understand the role of the atmosphere and Earth's complex planetary system of life. So that sounds elegant, but... Some of the stories you're going to hear Scott say are quite terrifying. So (laughs) have fun with that and enjoy this show with Scott DeShane.
2: Coming out of a bunker in Michigan.
1: we had Scott DeShayne on it was April 28th 2021 It's been over a year and when we had him on the show I had watched I had found It's mid pandemic Yeah That's the
0: the mid pandemic era yeah. yeah
1: I I had found Scott's documentary The Living Skies uh or The Living Sky and uh, I was blown away by it because I had That's had cool. An encounter of my own that was insane Yeah, that Marnie and I saw that was basically looked like some type of jellyfish in the sky, which I talked about. I mean, I might mention it this show, but I talked about it on the last show with uh Scott. Yeah. And so we had to have him back on because the show was so fascinating. Scott had so much awesome stuff to talk about. And I have a whole list. Scott gave like a syllabus. Like this is enough for like a college classroom of interesting yeah, topics. From,
0: yeah, <laughs> some stuff that we want to go through And tonight. we're going to go yeah. through...
1: We're gonna rehash what the Living Sky hypothesis is. What because I can just
0: listen to that over and over yeah, again myself.
1: What Scott yeah. Deshane has, you know, what he researches, yeah. uh, you know, all that fun stuff. And we're gonna get into some creepy stories. We're gonna make yeah. you scared to go outside. <laughs> and we're gonna get into all kinds <laughs> of fun, weird theories. And plus, just recently in the news, if you watch Scott's documentary on this topic, there's a lot of NASA footage of very strange lights in space and and odd things in our atmosphere and yeah. recently this month NASA that the they government has or that NASA has and they're going to crunch it somehow, somehow and they're only gonna, and they're they only have $100, a $100,000 budget, budget and they're going to do this for that the government has or that NASA has and yeah. they're going to crunch it somehow and they're only got, they only have a $100,000 budget and they're gonna do this for and they're gonna do this for nine months. So I'm like, that's cool. You know what they're gonna, you know, how, wait, hundred
0: thousand dollar budget, hundred
1: thousand dollars. budget. That's gonna pay for the coffee. Nine months, and then they're gonna come, and, and the end, they're gonna go inconclusive. Like I don't know what this is gonna do, but at least it's still something that's it. UFOs, U, UAP, whatever nine you want to call it. Now, dollars. They're they're in the news. They're relevant. Like it's how not, many
0: people are I mean. This is just a charity? Because, I mean... I don't know.
1: I don't know the NASA details. employees,
0: <laughs> I think they make more money than... Well, you know, I don't want to go into the, I, I don't the know. economics of this thing. It,
1: it, even in the Time article, I read this, and it basically said the frugal budget. <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, nothing oh, to brag a- that's about. That's
0: accurate. Yeah.
1: Whatever. So anyway... Um, Because, you know, NASA says, like, there's no evidence that UAP are extraterrestrial in origin. You know, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things they've always said. Mm -hmm. But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is that, yeah, a lot of this aerial phenomena, it might not be extraterrestrial. It might be part of our atmosphere. So thank you, Scott DeShane, for coming back to talk to us about awesome and disturbing things.
2: Thanks for (laughs) a great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I got to tell you, I tell everybody your story about how... uh, You found me because you saw what looked like a jellyfish hovering over a mini golf course in the sky.
1: Yes. Yeah. Over kids having prom. like Like prom (laughs) activities after prom. Yeah.
2: It's funny. A lot of people have gotten in touch through our our website, uh, thelivingsky.com, because uh, they see something and it bothers them. And they're like, what is it? You know, they reach out and they see something that actually makes sense. And uh, it's nice to know that a lot of people find some comfort knowing that what they see might be really extraordinary, but it might actually be something that's natural.
1: Yeah. So uh,
2: that's, that's that's great. Yeah, the NASA thing is uh, kind of exciting, but I, I kind of will hold back my uh, – I uh, have some reservations about it. I mean, the one uh, gentleman who's heading it up mentioned, he said, there are uh, a limited number of observations of UAPs. I think he said the word uh, – he said, given the paucity of observations <laughs> – and it's like, uh, I don't know what this guy's been looking at. So I'm, I'm actually going <laughs> to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'll show you some of you know what I collected on my own as a single researcher. I have like over an hour and a half of NASA footage on the, the Blu-ray and the DVD of uh, Not Alone, The Life Above. And this is just stuff that I found from different sources. So there's a ton of da- data out there uh, that actually shows these things. Uh, they might not look like hardware. But there's definitely a lot of stuff up there in fact uh i don't know if you watched we have a, a video on the website uh actually on youtube uh an interview with a gentleman who studied freshwater jellyfish and these things appear by the millions in ponds uh, or lakes or rivers where they've never been seen before and i said well how do you think they're getting there and he said well you know some people think they move through the atmosphere and I you showed him Uh, A lot of this NASA footage, and he was uh, just—we filmed his reaction. It's—it's on YouTube. Uh, We filmed his reaction, and he was just awestruck. And he said, "Is anybody studying this stuff?" I said, "I don't know. I don't think anybody is." (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge open. It's a whole new realm of science.
1: So I feel like it is a whole new realm, and 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 I know, like, how do you even begin to study something like this? What kind of tools would you even, you know, use besides like drones or atmospheric? Weather balloons. I don't even know, like, where you would begin. Do you have an idea if how oh, someone would I... start to even study something like scientifically?
2: You got a few days.
1: I'll...
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's one of the things I've been working on because uh, uh, Charles Fort, uh, the writer about uh, unusual phenomena, actually has a, a great saying. He says, "One measures a circle beginning anywhere." So uh, there, we could start looking for these objects and start studying them more closely in a variety of different locations i mean if you think of this is one of the challenges to the to the study is that the stage we're talking about the scale of observation is larger than what we traditionally think of with wildlife and just a, a quick rehash of the living sky hypothesis is that the atmosphere is not a separate entity from the rest of the planet it's connected to the oceans it's connected to the earth and the soil and all the waters and uh, what we see and call ufos and uaps may actually be organisms that are similar to those that we see moving through the oceans uh, they resemble marine invertebrates in a lot of different ways uh, in many different ways and all the study that i've done to try and explore the hypothesis you do the whole if this is true then we might see this uh, just leads me to believe that the hypothesis is viable um so this is the question is how do we go about studying this to get new evidence? Because there's a lot of contention about old evidence. And the idea with science is that you set up a hypothesis and then you go and study it. You, you experiment and test it. So one of the ways that I've done that single-handedly, we investigated the Marfa mystery lights in Marfa, Texas. Uh, They're on the surface of the planet and they are in a a unique geological region that has a lot of underground uh, aquifers and there's extinct volcanoes there so there's like potential habitats for aerial creatures to move in and out under the earth there and move through there and uh what we found i went down there with the travel channel for their show america declassified but we found there in just a couple nights of shooting we got footage of lights moving across the desert floor that appeared on visible cameras but didn't show any signature on infrared cameras so they seem to be giving off some kind of light without heat. And the only thing we know that does that is bioluminescence.
1: Mm. So uh,
2: yeah, the the guy that was running the FLIR uh, camera was just like, "Ah, I've never seen anything like this before. So that's one of the ways that they resemble marine invertebrates. I mean, scientists estimate that 90% of ocean life uses light, some kind of bioluminescence. And then I also uh, studied another so-called mystery light or earth light or spook light near West Point, Virginia, where people have seen a light along the tracks uh, of a railroad there in the rural swamps there, they call it the Cohoke Light. And for about a year, we went down there uh, at different seasons, and we actually recorded five or six different really interesting phenomena that it seemed to resemble previously unrecorded, you know, living things moving through the atmosphere. So those were kind of like tests of the concept. So we can look at these things on at the earth level you know at the the ground level there are many different mystery lights reported around the world uh but the the challenge to that is it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of dedication to do that we can also look uh you know we got a whole network of cell phone towers and utility towers we could mount cameras on top of those to get really low level atmospheric observation amber you mentioned sending up balloons people have done that in fact pilots have reported uh, on weather balloons, they've reported seeing discs uh, clinging onto the weather balloons as they, f- you know, raise up through the atmosphere. Mm. And one of the be- the best, probably the most ideal way to do this, would be to have some observation from space of the atmosphere, looking down through the atmosphere to try and detect uh, some of the different, uh, you know, possible organisms mm-hmm. that we might see there.
1: I thought about, like, the Hubble Space Telescope and the one that just went out recently. I, w- I wonder now, I don't know if life, I, I well, when the, the astronauts were doing stuff, like, that stuff's, like, in space. Like, I don't know what kind of atmosphere and environment's there, but you see things scooting around and, like, kind of its own propulsion in, in, in your film – and it made me wonder if those big, powerful telescopes have ever caught anything really bizarre on a photo that, of course, we don't see because it either gets swept under the rug or we just don't know. I don't know. And then it's, I don't know if they, if they do video or just take pictures. I don't know how those fancy can- or, uh, telescopes work.
2: I don't know. and I think the, the, the challenge with those is, is they're pointed outwards. Yeah. And, and uh, nobody's looking down <laughs> yeah, into right. the atmosphere. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I Going through this whole process, I found that, we only find what we're looking for. Uh, I was dealing with the um, European Space Agency, and they have a, a, a program uh, monitoring atmospheric composition where you know we're looking for different pollutants in the atmosphere. And I talked with one of the scientists that worked there, and I said, well, is anybody looking for um, DNA to see if there's any? And he said, oh, no, we don't look for that. They're looking for you know sulfur dioxide, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide particulates, to see, you know, the air quality, but nobody's doing, looking for like signs of life. So I think if we just look, adjust our strategies and actually look for signs of life, you know, look back down through the atmosphere, yeah. I think we're going to be amazed at what we find.
0: Well, I know the original idea with the Hubble, I mean, simply put the Hubble itself, I I, I saw a great analogy years ago on some documentary about the Hubble and they said, imagine you have, look, at, look through your windshield during a rainstorm. That's what try. That's what trying to look through our atmosphere with a telescope is like. That's why they built the Hubble to go outside the atmosphere oh. so they could see wow a lot, lot clearer into space. Okay. So no, that being said, well, you're saying that Scott. Like, well, it's pointing out, right? Not not down.
1: So, so what if you pointed it the other way?
0: Well, that not that, but you're still pointing it out, and you think it's powerful. The amazing, amazing photos that we've seen that the Hubble has produced. You'd think it might pick something up.
1: Well, if there is something that's, interesting, I'm I, and I was meaning with that, like if there was life forms, you know, beyond our Earth atmosphere, like well, yeah. stuff just do scooting around space. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> you
0: get you get a picture of something cruising along. I mean. Hi. That well, that doesn't make sense. Just get
1: some kind of sandworm-looking thing, like <laughs> zipping across like a galaxy. Like wow! I was
0: thinking more like a vehicle of some sorts. But... Oh,
1: you, you you mean the the car that Elon Musk? Uh... No,
0: not not even that. I mean, oh. I'm not being funny for a change. Oh, okay. Um, I was I... thinking of some type of vehicle. You know, I mean, I not, not a space saucer. Or U like
1: F O. You're th- you're talking yeah, about UFO. I mean, some type of vehicle okay. that's out there. When I mean, you said vehicle, though, I thought, oh, you. I,
0: would, like, I know, you're thinking of e- the, Elon the te- Musk and you're the funny. The Tesla
1: yeah. that Elon Musk sent out there playing David Bowie that one day, yeah, happens to go in front of the, the space telescope. <laughs> hey, cool. No. Well, imagine, that,
2: imagine that you're uh, looking at the, the landscape through a, a toilet paper tube. Uh, that's, like, that's how you're looking through a telescope. And, and also yeah. one of the challenges of that is that uh, you're going to get a very limited field of vision. Also, one of the challenges is focus. Uh, you know you've probably looked through microscopes and even in a drop of water you might you know rain, rack the focus through different levels of a drop of water and you know just by slightly changing the range of focus you're going to see something that might not be there and that's in a drop of water now think of yeah you know how the distances we're talking about in space one of the the cameramen that i worked with on a couple different projects told me about the challenges like you you guys mentioned the uh, you know, the atmosphere has a lot of stuff in it it's not just clear air and he said there's a limitation to what you can see Uh, at a certain point you're just not there's going to be so much gunk and so much distortion you're not going to be able to see these things I think that's one of the reasons that it's hard to see these things so one of the challenges uh, that I'm looking at is it's it's kind of like here's the baseline you have to be able to see a soap bubble a mile away In the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If we can can figure out a way to do that, we're going to see a lot more of these things. But that's one of the challenges. I think that uh, a lot of just like marine organisms, a lot of these organisms in the atmosphere might be made mostly of the medium in which they live. They might be water vapor and gas. So we're not going to see them in most normal lighting conditions. It's only when the lighting conditions are extreme that we actually notice these things.
1: Well, and it's like the elusive Bigfoot. How are we ever going to find a body when it just decomposes? Because we don't see, we don't find deer dead everywhere. And the same with like a jellyfish. I mean, if that if that just goes, like I don't. There's you when you see a dead jellyfish, there's not much going on.
2: Right. Like, they don't look vertebrae. like the. Uh, yeah. They don't look like the graceful, you know, creatures that that move around in their in na- their natural habitat. Nope. Once they're up on land, they just start. You know, dissolving.
0: And- yeah, that's the same thing with octopus, um, right? There, not, not to digress too hard, but I, there was that documentary on Netflix called "My Octopus." You, Teacher. you talked
1: about that on the last episode. Uh, really? Yeah.
2: Well, you brought talking. tears to our eyes.
1: Yeah, you got. Oh, you we, were, did, we talked about. Yeah, it. You oh, were,
0: we. Oh, we, we totally did. You yeah, did, yeah,
1: you talked a lot about. God, I'm redundant. And
0: sucky as a. <laughs> broke my heart, man. But that. But what? Maybe this is something I'm saying different this time to the listening audience. When when that when that oh boy I don't want to spoil it though.
1: Is, it's been a while
0: <laughs> when the octopus dies okay it just becomes just like no, no, they found their true love in the end that's what happened they, they found <laughs> their true love in the end yeah thank you let's move on <laughs> god i brought that up again wow i can't well that can. was uh
2: there was a gentleman who used to work for, he was a nasa engineer and yeah he he did an interesting survey of uh un- unknown phenomena his name is william corliss and he had a, a project called the source book project he thought it was as important to document what we don't know as what we know. And he was like a real inspiration because yeah, he came up with all this weird, these weird facts from scientific journals and he'd collected them and he organized them. And he did, he had a whole book about remarkable luminous phenomena. And I would say 70, 80% of the things he's documented could be some kind of bioluminescent organism. And I reached out to him, we, we corresponded. And he said, uh, like Amber said, You're going to need a body. Yeah. (laughs) And you think of the challenges of that, you know, how do do you collect something that's going to just start dissolving as soon as it dies?
1: Ultimately, we have to end up with, like, I feel like our best luck is, like, a photo, video. I I don't know. There's those eerie videos out there where it looks like something like octopus in the sky. Like, I don't know if they've been debunked. Yeah, but I've seen them, and I feel like Scott. Some of them are in your documentary as well, and they are spooky. Like if I yeah. saw that, I know what I saw. What I saw was not like terrifying. It was just like what if I saw something with massive tentacles coming down? Like no, no, I'm out. <laughs>
2: I'm out. Well, what's scary to me is uh, you know, one of the things that is a challenge, like I mentioned, is the the matter of scale.
1: Yeah. And-
2: and when we talk about things like sprites that scientists themselves have described as like giant jellyfish, in fact, they were really, they were really thrilled about it because they said there's a whole new aerial bestiary up there. And if you think of the size of a sprite, those things can be 40 to a hundred miles tall. Now if you're standing on the ground and one of them's above you, it's not like, you know, how to get a good look at it? It's just like, how do you even know it's there? You know? I know, <laughs> I know. it's you
1: know. so massive. And I, I want to get into some of these, um, uh, kind of spooky stories because I know we mentioned on the last show and we've talked about it before. We, we've talked about like missing 411, David Politis. Yeah. Um, who doesn't really say it's UFOs picking up people or anything. He David just kind of goes, here's the data. Here's what I found. He's, he's I think he's been kind of smart not to really say like what he thinks, but um, some of these things that happen are, could be to missing people, especially national parks and all that, could be aerial creatures like coming down and like taking people like that's a snack. Look at that hiker. Put some ketchup on him and just other. Uh, and then well, I don't know why we're laughing at that. That's terrifying. It is terrifying, but we gotta <laughs> I don't
0: laugh. laugh we go nuts. <laughs>
1: we gotta I don't laugh. Never or... want to go
0: hiking again now.
1: I know. Well, don't listen to David Pilatus and, and go hiking. You will never go to another national park. Wear your
2: pointy cap if you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Um, and so <laughs> and.
2: I love the idea of having putting ketchup
1: on. Ketchup's good on everything. Well, Scott, you're more of a ketchup guy. I like A One. A One would probably be better. Well, that's one of the ways that
2: these things uh, actually do resemble marine invertebrates. uh, Yeah, and we the two the two uh, you know big classes of UFOs that people see are the disc shape and the cigar shape, and they closely resemble. The shape of jellyfish and squid, and one of the ways UFOs seem to resemble those types of marine invertebrates is that they seem to act as high-level predators. I mean, there's a lot of reports of people being attacked by UFOs or carried away. Uh, You know, they're attacking animals, and uh, there's the whole field of cattle mutilations. That's a whole mystery in itself of you know what types of. uh, You know, what what is actually attacking these things? So it's an if-then scenario. Like, if there are, you know, smart, fast aerial predators, we might see evidence of them pulling things away. And uh, that's one of their, you know, that's – it's kind of a scary rabbit hole because uh, you look – for example, you might say, well, you know, if something's picking people up, do we ever find evidence of, you know, bodies in the tops of trees? And, you know, sure enough, there have been cases, several cases. You know, if you just look, you know, do an Internet search. Yeah, people have found headless bodies. Oh, God. In the tops of trees.
1: You said headless? Yeah. Oh. It's like, how did they
2: how did they get up there?
1: And where'd their head go?
2: I, I don't exactly. know. What?
1: There was a case of
2: a, uh, there was an apartment building in England where there was a horrible smell coming from uh, uh, the ventilation system. And they went to the roof and they found... A horse had been stuffed into the exhaust vent of the, vent of the apartment building. This was a tall apartment building. It's like, well, what is going to lift a horse on top of an a, apartment building? Right. And stick it in in the shed. Oh. And there's the cases. There's actually photos of like deer on top of uh, you know power lines. And it's like, how did how did they get up there? Um, when we were in uh, Marfa, Texas, the rancher uh, at the place where we were filming. He listened to this theory and he was, you know, he was a very down to earth guy. And he, he said, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Let me tell you about a herd of antelope that we had here. Uh, they have big game hunters come in and they had brought in a herd of antelope. And he said, over the course of a couple of days, they just all disappeared.
1: Oh. And,
2: and I said, well, what do you think happened? And he goes, well, what you're telling me it makes more sense. Cause there was no, there was no, uh, You know, no bones, no carcasses. It wasn't like predators were getting them. Maybe it's all like something came down and plucked them up.
1: Oh, that's wild. Yeah. That's (laughs) spooky. And, you know, I don't know if you have any opinions on, like, cattle mutilation when it comes to the the potential that, um, you know, the sky squid are coming down and and snacking on them. Um, Because cattle mutilation often has the the patterns of being very, um, well, there's patterns in it, like the blood's drained or, like, I, I don't know. There just seems to be a pattern sometimes with the cattle. I'm not an expert on the cattle mutilation thing, but I, what are your thoughts on that? When, in you know reference well, I, to the animals, I up think you have to look at the
2: evidence and then see. You know, again, it's a, it's an if then scenario. I mean, uh, you know, if these things are up there, you might see this type of uh, damage, this kind of these kind of attacks. I mean, they describe a lot of the animals as not having fought like something just stunned them and lifted them up into yeah. the air and then they, they're lowered somewhere else. Well, uh, you know, both jellyfish and squid use some kind of chemicals to stun their prey. Uh, squid can actually pump out neurotoxins and jellyfish have long tentacles that they lower. They're much long, sometimes much lower than their bodies. Uh, but squid actually have very sharp beaks that, uh, cut through their prey. And uh, if these things are lifting up cattle, I mean, you they would you would think you would see kind of wounds like they almost look like diamond-shaped wounds. If you if you can you can find pictures of octopus bites and squid bites, and they look like diamond shapes, hmm. A lot of the wounds on uh, on some of these mutilated cattle look like that. And you figure, well, if you're a high-level predator and you got this, you know, buffet of prey down below you yeah, they're not going anywhere these animals are stupid they're fed you know you're just going to pick them up and suck out the best parts so right. i don't know i don't know what's going on there i know a lot of people have reported seeing strange lights above uh, the fields when these things happen i know that there, there were times when they were considered in a national emergency because so many cattle were being uh were being killed and, and dropped uh, so uh, only further study is going to tell what really happened but now, that is certainly one possibility. There's some kind of aerial predator. And it's interesting. Now, some people uh, have gotten very annoyed. Yeah, uh, you know, this this hypothesis is kind of it's kind of a an orphan in a way. Scientists don't really want to entertain it because it deals with UFOs, and that's kind of kryptonite to them. And uh, a lot of alien enthusiasts don't like it because it's more you know, natural history based, it's more like scientific. And in a way, it it might kind of, you know, diffuse some of the mystique around the idea. But in a way, to me, it's just as fascinating. So some people who have looked at these things, uh, looked at cattle mutilations aren't excited about it, because they say, what about the aliens? What about the visitors? And I go, well, yeah, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. It is what it is.
1: Makes you wonder if there's like a of extra big habitat of sky creatures over something like Skinwalker Ranch.
2: Well, that's one thing that uh we seem to be finding is that there's areas on the surface of the planet where there is potentially ideal habitat for these creatures. Uh if you think of like fissures in the ground, uh underwater springs, uh fault lines in the earth, caves, um there's actually a something fascinating just came up. But if you think of creatures in the atmosphere, and if you think of the atmosphere as like a big ocean at the bottom, the floor of that ocean are little crevices where things can hide. Uh, and that seems, there seems to be a lot of activity around those type of crevices. Um, there was uh, there was a, just found somewhere in the desert. I forget where it was in uh, Northern Africa, uh, lava tubes oh, yeah. where they found these. I don't know if you heard about this where they found, like piles and mountains full of bones, something was uh, was actually uh, <laughs> you know preying on things and bringing the bones back to its uh, to its lair. And they were like, "Oh, maybe it was jackals, maybe it was hyenas, or something." But the, the the prey that they had was really heavy, and it's like, "Well, how is it getting it back here?" And we find some of those similar lava tubes uh, around uh, some of the mountains in Northern California and the Pacific Northwest where there's a lot of UFO activity, like where mm. Kenneth Arnold saw the UFOs uh, around around there. So you, know, you wonder if those lava tubes, I mean, those are, I would bet that most of those are probably pretty unexplored. They may provide an ideal habitat for creatures like that.
1: God, that's not that spooky. <laughs> I don't want to go into a park. I don't want to go to a cave now. I, don't, I just want to stay inside. Um, some of these stories, I, I'm going looking through our great syllabus here. Uh, can you tell us about what happened to the Knowles family in Australia in 1988? Oh, that's a great this story. This looks so spooky.
2: Oh, it's spooky. Uh, these This family, uh, a mom and her, her three sons, they look like they were all teenagers at the time, was driving across a long road along the southern edge of Australia. Uh, it's the, the Nullarbor Plain is what it's called. And uh, they were driving along. And they had seen these weird lights off in the distance. And they noticed that the lights were moving around through the sky. And as they drove, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, hundreds of miles long this road is. There's not not much around out there. The light got closer to their car and it hit the top of their car. It grabbed the top of their car and lifted their car off of the road. And they were terrified and they said what was really strange is they said there was a foul smell like decomposing flesh. Oh. The mother reached her hand out and felt something spongy on top of the car. Oh. And it eventually dropped the car and it bust, burst a tire and the car went out of control. They got it off to the side of the road. They ran out of the car and hid in the bushes and the thing eventually went away and, uh, And there were other witnesses on the road that saw these lights and saw that pick up the car. And these people were just the most down to earth people. And there's interviews with them. You can see interviews with them online where they describe exactly what happened. And these people aren't lying. There's no reason for them to lie. And you can it's kind of sad because they're they're on these interview shows and they're telling their heartfelt stories. And the interviewers are like, well, did you see any little green? men? (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Cue the X-Files music, yeah. <laughs> and you can see them be, you know, yep.
2: kind of sheepish after all. Like, oh, why don't we tell our story? You know, yep. but uh, Now, there was a real interesting uh, – you want to hear some weird little detour here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that always puzzled me about that, uh, and this is something that we I just figured out. I ran across a person that knew something about chemistry and kind of put together this, this domino of, of revelations here. One of the things that really puzzled me, the Knowles family described that when this thing was on top of their car, in addition to the awful smell, there was like all kinds of debris and dust and stuff moving around. So there was something coming out of this thing. And they said their voices sounded really low and really weird. And I always puzzled me like, hey, what is going on with this? You know, and I, I mentioned I was talking to a friend with this and he goes, oh, maybe it's sulfur hexafluoride. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's what i said so i said okay what's sulfur hexafluoride and uh i looked it up there's a there's a demonstration you can find a a video on youtube if you inhale it and speak with it your voice gets really really low (laughs) so i said okay what is this thing how in the world could some kind of flying jellyfish have sulfur hexafluoride right (laughs) uh So in Australia, there's another mystery light down there called the Min Min light. And I looked and said, okay, what produces sulfur hexafluoride naturally? And apparently it's found in hot springs. I said, oh, I wonder if there are any hot springs near where the Min Min light is sighted." Sure enough, in the town where the Min Min light is normally seen, there are hot springs around the town. Ah. So another interesting thing about this is that... uh, Another puzzling thing that has always kind of really baffled me about UFO encounters with vehicles is that uh, the electrical system sometimes short out. So you've, I'm sure you've heard about cars, you know, like in the oh, close encounters. Yeah, yeah yep. the, the, the electrical system dies. Yeah, yep. and uh, sulfur hexafluoride interferes with electrical conductivity. No way. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really fascinating field. It's a real whole. You know, that's a real avenue of study right there.
1: That's trippy. You know, this is just goes with the our, the theme that we're always talking about. That this stuff is just all this anomalous, uh, quote, paranormal things that we look at and study, are probably just part of our world, and we just <laughs> we don't even know it yet. And then so it becomes so mind blowing when you hear things like what you just said, uh, and it seems to make so much sense that it's like okay. So maybe it wasn't like a poltergeist attacking their car or, um, you know, uh, I just, that's so crazy.
2: Yeah, because flying jellyfish makes much more sense.
1: It kind of does, though.
2: (laughs) Well, no, I I think you're right, Amber. I mean, that's what to me is fascinating. It's like solving a puzzle. Yeah. And you realize, and, you know, nature is funny. You see some of the same behavior, some of the same problems solved on different scales again and again. And to find these kind of things associated to what seem to be really mysterious things, to be able to say, oh, no, this makes sense, that's really rewarding. And I think we got a, a really promising future ahead if we can you know, get people to, to actually study this. I mean, in fact, one of the things I want to do, since this is such a big topic, is try and maybe do some kind of investigation on a, a larger scale and try and get you know a wider range of scientists, particularly young scientists, involved in this, because they're the ones that are going to be taking this and, and moving forward with right. this.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we got to give NASA another hundred thousand to boost their their budgets. <laughs> At least we know. about yeah, like I I think I'll reach out to that guy. And say, <laughs> hey, you
2: want you want some evidence here? I got a little bit of it. For
1: you. So tell us about Pennsylvania State Trooper Larry Arnold. I love stories, especially uh, ones that come from uh, like officers and people that you normally uh, are normally probably not going to be telling uh, lies.
2: Well, Larry Arnold was an author who wrote. Uh, a great book called a blaze, which was about uh, spontaneous human combustion, which is another disturbing
1: yeah, we talk, yeah. You Yeah. Larry
0: Arnold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We yes. talked to him years ago oh, on really? the show. He was on no the show. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, we, I had a short period. It was, you know, it's something I'm always interested in, but yeah, spontaneous human combustion has been something that, that was just one of those, one of those subjects that really put the hook in me, huh. I guess. And yeah, Larry was I, nice enough to come talk to us one night. We've okay. had him on years ago. I can see why it's a, it's a, creepy it's it's hard to look at man i mean some of those old pictures i don't want to go into weeds too far but some of those old pictures they you know of some of the cases that that larry studied especially there's something to be said about a chair that's burnt to a crisp and just a couple of lower legs just mm-hmm. laying there randomly on the floor it's deeply yeah. disturbing and it's not i'm not being funny either it's it deeply is. disturbing to see something like that and oh it definitely is yeah so i mean the hows and whys that's a, that's a whole that's four days of discussion too so,
1: so what's yeah. Larry? Well, oh go ahead
0: no i was just gonna say well that's another area where um,
2: people say i'm kind of monomaniacal i always try and figure out how this relates back to these sky beasts <laughs> <laughs> if, if you consider you know you look at some of those things basically uh for the listeners, spontaneous human combustion, people are found sometimes, and it looks like they just burned up where they were sitting. Uh, But things right around them aren't burned. It's like the heat that would... I mean, the bodies are... Some of them are gone. The only thing that's left, as Scott mentioned, is an arm and a leg here or there, and and the rest of them is just gone. Yeah. Uh, And uh, it doesn't happen often, and some people even deny that it's it's just a a thing, but it, it has been documented many, many times. So it makes me wonder if it's really... Combustion, as we know it, or if there's other some other kind of chemical process that's causing these people to uh,
0: well, yeah, and and that's one of the ideas they they think is just you know like a lot of things that happen on this planet, it's just that perfect alignment of the planets, so to say, and things can happen that you wouldn't expect to happen, and that's what they say is you know chemical components, you know, a lot of. Of course, you know, that, and the cases that were studied, a lot of people were smokers, and they were people that would smoke in bed or they'd smoke in their house a lot. So I think that could be an obvious element to this. But something else had to happen for someone, for literally – only the space around, like literally the space, like inches around their body, to like be burnt, like in a chair or whatever, and nothing else in the room to be burnt at all. That's
1: what doesn't make sense because no seems... smoke
0: damage, no yeah. nothing, just that one right. little area. Cover with,
2: yeah, covered with some kind of oily residue. Oh, or oh, some... god, oh god, yeah, that part too creeps me out. <laughs>
0: Sorry, Scott, oh, bring your nightmares.
2: I, <laughs> 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 anyway, so I talked with yeah. with Larry about <laughs> this topic. You know, I, I reached out and said, "Hey, man, you, you got some really fascinating research," and I mentioned you know, the whole idea of the creatures living in the sky. And he told me this story about a Pennsylvania state trooper who saw a weird light at an intersection. Uh, and he said it was way above him, but he felt like a warmth on his face. He got out of his car and he was looking up at it and he felt like a warmth on his face. Like, you know, it was kind of, it wasn't burning or else he would have run away. It was just kind of like you know, warm. Warmth. Yeah. And so he thought nothing of it. He went back the next day he went into the barracks and, uh, his co said, oh, what, did you fall asleep under the sun lamp? And uh, his face was all red and like he had been burned or stung. And this is the kind of thing that we see a lot with UFO witnesses is that people have had close encounters sometimes have s- symptoms that are almost exactly parallel People's exposure to uh, invertebrate toxins, uh, oh. and we know that jellyfish sometimes have tentacles that extend far below, far below their normal body. And you know, this there's, is there's a possibility that this thing was some kind of creature above him that lowered these tentacles, and the the toxins were actually stinging his face. You know, we know that jellyfish have multiple stinging cells, and somehow caused him to uh, you know, get that kind of rash. And that's what we see in a lot of UFO witnesses. This is one of the reasons why I think it's. Important to uh, to study this topic is because you know, a lot of people see these things, and some people have you know, extreme close encounters, and some of them are never the same after they encounter these things. Uh, there was one story; um, it was in a, a medical journal, a medical called Medical Times, about a forester in New Jersey. Uh, there's an area in northern New Jersey near the Wanakeu Reservoir, there's a lot of mountains there. And you think being close to New York, it's going to be all developed. But these mountains are really wild and there's a lot of caves. There's a lot of underground springs. There's a lot of water there and people have seen weird lights around there. One forester was uh, driving through the forest and this big uh, object, big lighted glowing object started hovering following his truck and it would bump into the truck and he would stop, and the thing would go and he started moving again, and the thing came and bumped into the truck again. It was hovering. It was trying to pick up the truck. And he drew a picture of it, and, oh, my gosh, it looks just like a jellyfish. I mean, it's got that Ooh. disc shape. Yeah. It's got, like, tentacles under it. Well, this guy, this went on for, like, 20, 25 minutes. This thing was hounding him, and he could not get away from it. He finally – and it had the intermittent failure of the, the truck's electrical system, too – he finally got away from it and he went to the hospital cause he was like, he had like nerve damage. He had muscle damage Wow. and it got progressively worse over the years. The guy never recovered. So this is one reason I think it's important to understand what we're dealing with. Cause you know, some people, I mean, this poor guy, if he hadn't he been treated, maybe he would have recovered, but you know, they didn't know what, they had no idea what, what happened to him and they just couldn't help the poor guy.
1: That so, I've heard that too in like, They'll say if you if you okay you legitimately see, uh, here comes a silver disc from the sky. It lands. Uh, you walk up to it. They're like, don't touch it. Don't walk up to it because people have been known to come back from these uh, moments with radiation burns. Well, I was gonna,
0: I, this whole thing has uh, been like, making me think like, of radiation. Well,
1: burns. well, Rendlesham Forest was one. I think that was uh, where p- the people came back uh, after seeing something land. Uh, which Rendlesham was that? In, I think that's in the UK. Um, and they came yep. back with these these burns and, and stuff from touching this craft and being so close to it. Ugh.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, well, first, it's funny to think uh, John Keel, the, the famous paranormal writer, the guy that wrote the Mothman prophecy, said that uh, he thinks that a lot of UFO witnesses might actually be the lucky ones who got away.
1: That's so, creepy. That's, that's a hard fun. way to look at it. That's creepy. You know, that's creepy because I think about when Marnie and I were sitting there and we saw our little sky squid come down, and and I we did have those thoughts like, what if that thing was looking for food? What if that was what we saw? And then it, you know, it was like, nah, never mind. Like those girls have too much nicotine and coffee in them. I'm not interested. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you know,
1: I don't know. It's like, yeah, did we did we escape something? I, I that's crazy. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel well, lucky that I saw it, but yet I feel lucky in other ways now. I guess.
2: Well, it's yeah. funny that when they, people talk about radiation, you know, they say, oh, they had, they were exposed to radiation. It's like, well, maybe, but maybe, uh, yeah. This these were exposure to, to neurotoxins and like digestive juices. That's what these creatures do. They emit this stuff. Some of it actually pre-digests, it stings their prey and it actually pre-digests them. So when they haul them up into their gut or chow them down in the case of the, the squid, you know, they're actually ready to digest. Uh, there was a guy who did a doctor, uh, Dr. John Schuessler, who wrote a, wrote a whole book about uh, medical effects, you know, physical effects of UFOs on UFO sightings. And, you know, if you look down, if you overlaid that with the uh, effects of exposure to invertebrate toxins, it's, it's almost an exact match. It's, and it's, you know, I, that's another thing, you know, we got to think about the safety of like pilots or astronauts. If they're getting near these things, there's got to be a way yeah. to protect them because then the toxins aren't necessarily right around the things. They might be in yeah. a wider area.
1: And in light of the government looking in all these things and all these different programs with different acronyms, ATIP and whatever, all these things. I know they're always talking about, what, OK, we're not necessarily looking for little green men. We have to look at these things and take them seriously because they could be a threat to our pilots and our people in the Navy, um, you know, especially if they're not something from China or Russia or whatever. So I do think that the government, whether they tell the truth or not or find decent stuff, it they I think people within that department know like, OK, this stuff could be potentially dangerous. Like we do have to take it serious.
2: Yeah, we do. <coughs> uh, it's a It's a big topic. I don't know. If there's any kind of uh, you know animosity from these things, the damage might just be you know, the, the damage of any animal. It might be just, uh, these things seem to want to avoid people, which is kind of smart. It's kind of like us avoiding an ant's nest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, you just don't want you don't want to go there. Uh, they they seem to want to be uh, the ones that are sighted on the ground. seem to be want to be in rural areas away from people. They don't they don't seem to like being watched and so you know that's kind of a challenge but there if we're thinking of there are also also many cases of attacks on planes and whether these were attacks or whether the planes accidentally became fouled or something it's something we need to understand for the safety of, of you know air travel and pilots so uh it's a big topic oh i got to tell you one story uh speaking of please uh, the mountains of new jersey <laughs> <laughs> i used to hike up there and there are some big plateaus on top of these mountains where no, you, there's no roads up to them. You get on the top of the mountain and there's like actual lakes up there and there's uh, swamps in the depressions in the rocks on top of the water. And we were hiking up there one time and we saw this little car like in a swamp up there. And we're how in the world did this car get up here? And I didn't think, I didn't know all the stuff, you know, all I know at the time now, or else I might've turned and run, but <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think now that little tiny little compact car would be an easy little thing for something to bring up there and drop. But I mean, there's no way that thing could have driven up there. Something dropped it up there.
1: That's weird. <laughs> that is um, weird. What is the story about the mad gasser of Mattoon, Illinois M- from the 1940s? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, in Mattoon, Illinois, uh, for i think it was a couple weeks that something was lurking outside people's homes and it was in the shadows and people thought that it was pumping some kind of gas into their homes and when they run outside the house to see what it was the thing like leaped away like you know faster quicker than any human could do Mm. and so it was kind of this panic that started uh you know, and this happened repeatedly and the people said they would feel dizzy, they'd feel overwhelmed, they felt numb. And this is another type of behavior that we see in some of these cephalopods like squid and octopi. They actually will sometimes approach their prey and they will pump out this poison, this neurotoxin, they pump out clouds of this stuff. And it actually, uh, it sort of, you know, immobilizes their prey before they go in and do it. You can see that, there's videos of, of octopi and squid actually pumping this stuff out and fish are there and they just don't move. And then they, the octopus or the squid just goes up and grabs it. And they, So, you know, you think, well, <laughs> that one's kind of a reach, but if, if something's there <laughs> for people, it might be pumping some kind of you know nerve gas into their homes. But hey, that was just another thing where, you know, there's so many weird stories that seem they don't make any sense. And that's one of the challenges because a lot of people, they hear these stories, this data, and they just go, well, that doesn't fit. So they just go boom and throw it away. Yeah. And, but if you look at it from the viewpoint of, well, what if there are organisms moving through the atmosphere uh, that some of the stuff does make sense. Like, for example, uh, you talked earlier about, well, how are we going to find bodies of these things? If they're, you, know, you think of there in the atmosphere, higher up in the atmosphere, And they get sick or they get old and they start lowering down well the pressure the atmospheric pressure is much higher down here near the surface uh so we see actually if you look around you can actually find a lot of evidence reports of you know blobs of jelly falling out of the sky Uh, there are reports of uh there's this stuff called Sare, that's a a Welsh name for rot of the stars Mm. Uh, and it's seen a, a lot in the uk where uh people will see a light that seems to descend to a field. And when they go and look, there's a blob of jelly there. And uh, they call it star jelly or rod of the stars. And this stuff just, it sublimates. It's like evaporation, but it goes from solid to gas, like right away. In fact, there's a, this has happened at many places where people see these mystery lights. Uh, they see these lights and, I mean, these like residue, like the jelly, and they'll pick it up and it's like a bubble and it just it sublimates. It just evaporates. And with the danger of that, if you ever see, if anybody out there ever sees a blob of jelly on the ground, don't pick it up, <laughs> because people have, have had they, you know, they've had stinging sensations, and uh, sometimes it lasts for weeks or months, you know, as if you picked up a jellyfish and, and you would actually get stung. So if you if you see something like that, don't do not pick it up. You could collect it using some kind of utensil or something, but do not pick it up. But the, there was a gentleman who studied the Marfa down there, and he described somebody who picked one up and just saw it. Just as they watched in their hand, it just was like a bubble and it just disappeared.
1: Wow. So then yeah. it's like, how do you even bring it in for, a, a you know, testing to, to get a proper sample or analyze it? You know, if it just goes poof.
2: That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I thought if, you know, as I mentioned, I think one of the ideal ways to do this would to be go into the upper reaches of their habitat, into the atmosphere. And uh, as we have remotely operated vehicles now that explore deep sea habitats, I think one possible future strategy would be to have remotely operated vehicles in space. Yeah. And if we could get like a pressurized container. OK, but the challenge of this is you have to keep it pressurized and then you have to bring it back down to the planet, you know, and and maybe put in some kind of pressurized tank to maintain the low pressure. Uh, imagine in the future if we had like, uh, we have aquariums now, suppose you had sky Skyquarium. Oh, you
1: could- cool. Oh, I can, I can just see that. Like, I can see that on like a science fiction book cover right now.
2: <laughs> Will you buy our first ticket, Amber? Yes, I'll go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sky Zoo. I mean, you can, oh my sky God, Zoo. so easy. The marketing would be just, boom, we're done. I love that. Sky (laughs) Um, I, You know, it makes me think of like the Mars rover that can just kind of like go around and like pick up samples and analyze things like right there. It's like you'd almost need some kind of contraption that could just do everything right there in the sky maybe. Just to simplify it. That's
2: one of the the challenges too. When we're looking at other planets like Mars trying to look for life and we're looking at the place where we live on the surface. Okay, so if... If we find that the atmosphere is a really rich habitat for life forms, this might change our strategies exploring you know, some of the planets. We might look you know, like the, you know, the gas giant, like Jupiter. You know, we might say, okay, let's look in the atmosphere instead of just on the ground and, and see what we find there. But it's going to require developing a whole new set of tools. Uh, part of me thinks you know there's a whole uh, range of videos that have been recorded of objects moving around the space station. So to me, it's like, wow, let's just go put a big butterfly net outside of this, the space station. Yeah. It doesn't have to be high tech, you know, yeah. let's just see. So, you know, if we develop these tools, we may be able to use them on other planets. But I think our own atmosphere, I mean, my gosh, uh, they say we've only identified a small percentage of the life forms that live on our planet.
1: I believe that.
2: Yeah. And you think they're finding new species all the time. And I don't think anybody's really you know, looked at the atmosphere for these kind of you know large invertebrates, So. I think that's a, a huge realm for future study.
1: You think when you have the the mass, uh, like when a huge flock of birds suddenly fall from the sky, do you think that could be something where those birds flew into something that possibly was like a neurotoxin or something?
2: Well, you wonder about that. Uh, that's a great question because uh, if you think of like whales in the seas and how they – browse on plankton and they, you know, ingest huge quantities of these things Uh, in the atmosphere. There are huge swarms of migrating insects and migrating birds. Uh, If there are creatures that are up there, they might, you know, identify these, these swarms and see them as a rich feeding ground. Uh, There recently was a a video released of a bird fall outside a police station. It was a police station security camera in Mexico and you see thousands of birds they don't just fall out of the sky it looks like something squirts them out of the sky Ugh. they're like sh- shot down Ugh. it's like something sucked them up and then shoots them down and some of them get up and fly away but a lot of them are stunned and you think wow what
1: what in the heck yeah, caused what that the hell did that
2: yeah And this yeah. is this is something that uh, has happened many times of these you know massive bird falls and people can't explain it they uh, you know, they say, oh, maybe they got a virus, maybe they ran into buildings, maybe it was weather, maybe it was all those things. But you know, if there are some kind of you know massive aerial predators, they might go after these big swarms of migrating birds.
1: Yeah, it seems like it would make sense. What, what's the story behind the Army Reserve helicopter over Ohio in 1973? <laughs> this looks interesting. Well,
2: that's a great story. These guys were uh, – these Army Reserve uh, servicemen were – flying a helicopter and they saw something huge approaching them from above it was lighted and it approached and they were like what is that and they said it looked like some kind of submarine approaching them and witnesses on the ground were watching this at the time and it had these green lights and all of a sudden something enveloped the helicopter and before they knew it, this thing had pulled them a thousand feet up into the sky, and they couldn't get away. They finally they had to power with all their might. I mean, they had to full power just to escape from whatever had grabbed them and was pulling them up. Now, wow. if you think of what looks like a, a submarine, I'm thinking, well, some kind of you know squid. And something you know reached down and enveloped this flying thing and tried to pull it up Yeah. Uh, but yeah the guy I mean and the the pilot the this Captain Lawrence Coyne was uh, he was clear about what he saw I mean I'd, I'd love to reach out to him if he's still alive and see you know what he might think of this uh, but he he was clear about what he saw and, and, and people said oh you're nuts but no they were witnesses all the guys on the helicopter saw it and all the people a bunch of people on the ground actually saw it too and the helicopter just raised up in the sky before they knew it was happening
1: God, that's so creepy. And something as large as a, like a sub, like just, oh.
2: Just hovering above the helicopter.
1: Uh, that's, yeah, it's
2: terrifying. And
1: It's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And, you, and you're right. It would have like a squid-like shape. Um, and are squid are squid just as big as whales, like the giant squid, or are they smaller? Uh, I
2: forget you know, how this big is they another, are. This is another question that uh, it's one of those unknowns. We know there are giant squid. We know there are colossal squid. There's probably even mega giant, huge colossal squids. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, they're very smart creatures. And we know they're, they're there, but we've only recently gotten footage of some of the giant squid. In fact, uh, a gentleman who was the producer for the show Monster Quest, uh, Doug highcheck actually developed a rig which recorded the first uh, giant squid. So that was you know oh, recently, wow. that wasn't that long. Yeah. So we know there are giant organisms moving through the oceans, but uh, there are stories about it of actually uh, submarines seeing these things on sonar. But it's like the thing is playing a cat and mouse game with them. As soon as they approach them, the thing gets away. It always stays out of reach. As you would imagine something smart would, it's, it always stays out of reach. It's so quick. And there's a great story about... Uh, a submarine crew uh, in the Antarctic uh, they were down there and they were surfaced and they saw something like a missile shoot up out of the water. It busted through the ice and shot up into the atmosphere. And there was like ice cascading down around it. And everybody was like, what the heck was that? So... Oh. <laughs>
1: Makes me think of USOs, you know, un- unidentified submerged objects yeah. And I kind of wonder if when people see these things shoot out of water, if if it's if it's not a craft, like an actual nuts and bolts craft that they're seeing, but one of these creatures like just able to go from water to back to the atmosphere.
2: Um but, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we like to think that things stay in their place, you know, oh, you yeah. live in the water, you stay in the water. But things move in and out of the water into the atmosphere, you know, underground, uh, things do that. And and there are a lot of creatures that we know about that live in the water for part of their lives and live in the air for part of their lives. And uh, there are many reports, some of the Navy reports that have come out are of these objects going in and out of the water, which kind of makes sense. I mean, there's not a hard line there. They're just different densities of the same medium.
1: What? It's okay, great- I, I read this in my mind, and so I, now, I need to know story. But on your notes, it says, uh, Pilot Frederick Valentich or Valentike. Uh, 1978, Australia's base straight. But then it says, quote, it's not a machine. But I read that in, in Arnold for some reason. I was like, it's not a machine. I don't know why. <laughs> <It's not> <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I got to ask him about that one next. I got to get that one out of my head. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, this, that, that's a a famous case. And again, it's a pretty terrifying case. He was flying a light plane uh, over the Bass Strait in, in Australia. And uh, uh, he... uh was making a delivery and something was zipping back and forth above him and he got the feeling it was playing with him and he uh the thing was getting closer and closer to him and he couldn't get away and it eventually it started to lower itself right onto the plane and uh, right before he said it's moving back and forth right above me and it's not a machine Oh! and then the mic went dead and there was this this weird noise. I, I haven't been able to find a recording of the noise, but as they said, it was some weird, awful noise. And then uh, he was never found. There was no trace of his plane ever found. People did report there were these weird lighted objects moving in and out of the water on that body of water in the days leading up to his disappearance. So that's another one of those unsolved mysteries that, uh, you know, <laughs> something got that plane. And it's pretty well documented. You can read the transcript of his. Of his conversation with air traffic control,
1: do you do you think that any of these atmospheric animals would have the ability to actually appear on radar?
2: That's a great question. Uh, you know, one one of the the guy that invented ground based radar looked at uh, they call them angels, radar angels. Uh, sometimes the radar will pick up these big swarms of objects moving through the sky. And they go, well, those aren't aircraft. We don't have any aircraft up there, but something, they're picking up something in the atmosphere. And the guy that invented this said, well, they look like animals. They're like swarms of animals. So this is a guy, you know, he's got no axe to grind. He's got no agenda. And he said, they look like animals, uh, moving through the sky. Now it's funny. If you look now, we have the ability to look at, uh, weather radar and if you look at weather radar over the united states or any area of the world on some evenings these objects seem to appear like swarms Uh, they seem to come out of the ground at certain spots certain times of the day and it's like they on different areas over wide areas it's almost like an emergence you know you're seeing this stuff mysteriously like it, it doesn't blow across from the atmosphere. It's like coming out of the ground as if there's like a population of these things under the ground. They say, okay, time to swarm. And they come out and they go up into the atmosphere. I actually uh, just kind of came across that by accident. I started recording some of these things. and like, This is really weird behavior. Like, And uh, <laughs> there was a, um, people were talking about like radar chaff. Like it was stuff that the radar was picking up and they were trying to figure out what it was. But uh,
1: hmm.
2: I have no idea.
1: It'd be weird to just see like the, you know, image of a squid just like, like kind of, I'm thinking Frogger or something, but like just going across <laughs> your radar screen, like what the hell is that? Well, oh, I- you
2: know, when we were down in uh, Cohoke, uh, we accidentally picked up this, it, it's so weird. There was a, like a bat flying back and forth across the railroad tracks near dusk. So the sun was really low in the sky it wasn't like washing out the atmosphere. And that's and that's one of the things is the sun, you know, washes out the atmosphere. Anything that's there that's not distinctly colored is kind of invisible to your eye. But so the sun was like down, but the light was still shining over the landscape. And we were filming this bat going back and forth over the tracks hunting. And we were filming it in slow motion. And we looked at the footage later, and there was like this swarm of objects, and they were Practically, and they were almost invisible, but they were like hundreds of these disc-shaped things moving around. And we're like, did we just capture something? It was purely by accident. Uh, And you're thinking, wow. I mean, that would be, you wouldn't even, you couldn't see them with the naked eye. So it makes me wonder, you know, what's going on out there that we can't perceive that's going on around us all the time.
1: The last thing I want to mention is that the two, one of the two big giants, well, two of the big giants in science fiction and science Arthur C. Clarke and Carl Sagan even speculated that jellyfish-like creatures may live in the skies of gas giants, of their moons. Ugh. So now we're we're now, now we're not we're we're moving away from Earth, and we got like I said these two big guys brains going hmm jellyfish on Venus jellyfish of Jupiter. Like, yeah, that's that, nuts. They, yeah,
2: they, they speculated that you know there might be jellyfish-like creatures on Jupiter. There might be a jellyfish like creatures on Europa. Uh, so you think, okay, there are no hard lines. And this is one of the things that we tend to look at. we, We like to draw neat little boxes to put things in. And, uh, we think of marine creatures living in the ocean. We think of, you know, birds living in the sky, but there's not a hard line there between the surface of the ocean and the atmosphere. And it's the same way with our atmosphere. There's not a hard line at the edge of the atmosphere. It extends way beyond, you know, our physical rock planet. In fact, they just detected traces of our atmosphere as far out as the moon. Wow! So if you think we're all in this big system where stuff is being exchanged all the time, something shoots out from our planet, another planet might move through you know, it. You might be blown by the solar winds, and you know something else picks it up. Uh, you know, people have speculated that. Comets trail material like you know, organic matter, and we sometimes pass through clouds from comets. Yeah. So if if there are these things, you know, in the atmosphere of some of the gas giants, who's to know that some of those might shoot out into space when a comet impacts them? The comet shoemaker Levy actually crashed into Jupiter. And they said there's a force of like a hundred atom bombs and it shot like this incredible amount of material out into space. Now, one of the things about invertebrates is that they have many different forms of their life cycle. And one form that is really fascinating is they go into kind of this dormant cyst-like form where they're basically like a tiny little cyst that's indestructible. Uh, The gentleman who studied uh, freshwater jellyfish took some of these cysts and he put them in the freezer they tried to irradiate them. They tried to heat them. They, they put one in a freezer. They put some in a freezer for five years. When they took it out put it in water, boom, pop right back to life. Yeah,
1: that's crazy.
2: So oh, these God. would be the kind of form that, you know, okay, one of these things are living on Jupiter, and this comet right. hits them, shoots them out into space, and they go floating down towards Earth. And, hey, look, a nice, warm, wet
1: place. Right. Yeah. Totally revived. That's right. Well, that's crazy. So all of our listeners now, you have to continually look up, get a net, keep a net with you. Maybe wave it about above your head, see what you catch. Um, Scott, where can everybody find your documentary? How can they contact you? Where can they learn more about what you do?
2: Oh, they can check out the livingsky.com and there they can see some links to our YouTube videos. They can see the documentaries that we've done and see more about the hypothesis. There's so much evidence. It's really fascinating, really fun. It's a, uh, it's totally based in science, in, in science. and uh, one thing that's important: we're not pushing this as a belief. This is a hypothesis that needs to be tested. Uh, but they can check that out there. If it's want more information, there's a contact form there. I'll be glad to talk to anybody about this because, you can tell, I like talking about
1: it. <laughs> we like talking to you too. You got great stories. You know, oh, you yeah. can tell. You're confident, and it's and you pleasure. definitely love. Love what you study, which is important. We need more people like you that really truly enjoy, uh, with every with all of the fiber of their being, um, you know, research stuff like this and bring it to the masses. Oh, thank so, you so much. It's,
2: it's an honor to talk with you guys. I love your inquisitive minds and your openness and your ability to snap on to things, you know, catch on to things pretty quickly. Ah, thank cover you them Scott. with ketchup. Well,
1: you're. <laughs> 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 that will be. I think our last show. I think. I think what made me chuckle was sky squid. Now, okay, this show will be covering with ketchup. <laughs>
2: covering <with> ketchup. <laughs> so, of yeah, course, nothing's, nothing's more disturbing than seeing the <laughs> some of the videos of what might be sky squid. You see something giant goes zipping through the sky so fast, you're like, oh, "What God, was that?" No. Fact, that's one of the things we want. To, I want to put together is this kind of compilation. Of yes. So-called sky squid yes. videos.
1: Yes, you should because that's the kind of stuff that's going to start making people think and be like, "Hmm." okay, let's, let's, I always thought UFOs were stupid, but let's look at it through this perspective because the the government and everybody, you know, for the longest time did such a great job making us think like, oh, if you believe in UFOs, you're dumb, you're ignorant. Where's your tinfoil hat? You know, this is a (laughs) totally different perspective on UAP and what is above us. Yes. So thank you. So, oh, go ahead. It's
2: fun to look at the past evidence, but to me, the challenge (laughs) is let's go forward and do this right. Actually study this guy. Do a biological survey of the atmosphere and, and hopefully we can, you know, really get a good look at what's yeah. up there. That's, that's one of my goals.
1: Yeah. So. If anyone out there wants to start like, you know, one of these biolab teams with all of us, like, you know, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get some we'll together. We'll, we'll get a mobile like uh sky squid lab going and sky um, <laughs> travel around the U uh, S testing, testing a different stuff. Van. Someone, someone from the team goes missing. We don't talk about it. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you know, could be an interesting story. <laughs>
0: Scott, thank you again so much. We'd love to have you back again sometime. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Amber. it's great talking with
2: you folks.
1: Ghostly Talk. you.